you owe everyone to be the best version of yourself and you deserve to see the best version of them. And when you're the best version of you, you'll get the best version of the others around you. And when you're not, you'll get the worst version because emotions are very infectious. From Hamster Wheel Publishing, this is Blunt Eye Section. I'm Dave Nichol. Normally on Blunt Dissection, it is my job to get under the skin of the great and good of veterinary medicine and get them to tell their story like you've never heard it before to learn as much about their journey in veterinary medicine as possible in the hope we can all learn how to be better versions of ourselves. This episode is a little different because the students of the University of Queensland Vet School decided it was time to turn the tables and put yours truly under the spotlight. Quite why they thought that is utterly beyond me, but aside from having the creeping feeling that this is an unhealthy exercise in narcissism, I encourage you to manage your expectations down. I make absolutely no claims to being one of the great and good in vet med, nor do I offer any assurance that you, my dear listeners, will receive the benefit of any wisdom whatsoever, which of course is no reflection on the skills of my guest hosts Leon, Mackenzie and Amy, who all did a fantastic job as first-time interviewers and are great examples of why millennials can and will rock the veterinary profession in the future. This show, I hope, is entertaining at the least, but is especially good to listen to if you want to learn more about a career in veterinary medicine, how to survive vet school, and also how to get places faster in your career. Plus, it will give you a useful insight into not just my mind, God help us all, but also the mind of my interviewers who in a few short years will be entering the workplace. Now, just before we jump into the episode, let me drop a quick word from our show sponsor, Vetex Thrive. If you're struggling in practice or you know a vet who is, then please check this out. VetX Thrive is a community that will help you find purpose, direction, and give you the skills to succeed and be happy. As a member, you'll learn and master the non-clinical skills required for success. You'll get access to the best mentors around and you'll be part of a supportive global network of vets. So please head to drdavenickel.com forward slash VetX and click on the VetX Thrive to learn more. Now back to the show. This episode was recorded originally as a live Instagram broadcast between the UK and Australia, so it's amazing it happened at all. I really want to shout out my sound team, who've worked some technological miracles to bring it together. Thank you very much, Evelyn. With all of that said, all that remains now is to invite you to sit back and enjoy this special episode of Blunt Dissection. So today Let's I'm go. fortunate to interview Dr. Dave Nichol, a Glasgow vet student graduate who has taken the vet world by storm through his veterinary entrepreneurship and mentorship. From a very young age, he's shown entrepreneurial potential, from being a skateboard fixer as a kid to owning and running multiple veterinary practices and hospitals in both Australia and the UK. And this is not all. He has also published two very critically acclaimed books. First, The Yellow Pages Are Dead, and then The Amazing, So You're a Vet Now. Wowza, talk about a high flyer. What's more, he mentors his fellow veterinary professionals through his amazing vet ex-graduate program, 
He is also a great guest lecturer and has many multimedia blog posts, namely Free Wheeling and Blunt Dissection, which has surpassed more than 30,000 plays, which has probably been more since then. And which we are taking over today. <laughs> so, this proud Scott and former rugby player is a cool, amazing, impactful vet leader who has definitely awakened the veterinary world around him. So, welcome, Dr. Dave Nichol. Hello, hello. What? Whoa, oh, you guys, like, you're coming with me everywhere I speak. You can do all of my intros. That's easily the best one I've ever had. I'm like, who is this dude? <laughs> Good research. Yes, we have. We've been furiously listening to all your podcasts and stuff over the past week, trying to make sure we know exactly who you are. <laughs> I'm not sure I worked that out yet, so uh, let's not turn this immediately into psychotherapy. <laughs> Yeah, fair, fair enough. Maybe we should start with the questions. Are you keen? Go, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, as everybody on Instagram watching this live should know, we are vet students and you're a vet. So, what we want to know about is um, your vet school experience, your hobbies, what you did well, what you didn't do so well. We've heard you mention a few times that you were that vet student who uh, aimed for 50% on their exams and scraped through. So, yeah, just give us a bit of an insight on your vet school experience. Well, I think I, I was typical in some ways and very not typical in other ways. You know, I was typical in the way, particularly at Glasgow, since, you know, it's a, uh, I think the, actually, when I was in Australia, I heard of there's a little town called Brookline just outside of Sydney. And they call it a fishing town with a drinking problem. <laughs> and I, I would say much the same is true of Glasgow Vet School. It's kind of a, you know, it's it's a drinking institution with a veterinary medicine problem. And what that means, I don't mean to glorify um, booze, but what it, it is, is a place where there's a lot of living done as well. And so I treated, you know, getting into university was obviously quite challenging, quite hard. And a lot of us have that is a very clear objective early in our, our lives, right? Like we want to be vets, we, whatever inspires us, whether it's James Herriot or just a love of animals or love of science or whatever, we've got this really clear fixed goal and that's to get through vet school or get into vet school and then get out the other side. So, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to achieve that. But my aim when I got to vet school, you know, I actually, I went to a very good school. I was never one of those vets who or one of those students who was ever top of the class, even at school, like there was people far, far smarter than me. The world is populated by lots of people way smarter than, than Dave Nichol for sure. But I feel like in the game of top trumps, like there was lots of people who were like a 10, you know, do you know the game top trumps? You know, they're like brain power 100, you know, and I'm probably brain power 55, but you know, energy 120 and, you know, ability to see, see solutions to problems was pretty high as well. So I was able to enjoy the social side of university a lot. And that was, I think that was very important. And and I actually, I didn't so much aim for 50. I was always, you know, I would have liked to get more than 50. It just didn't happen that often, you know. You know, in my in my third year, I went well in the, the odd years of vet school. I didn't have any pass-fail orals, which was nice. In the even years, I didn't go so well. And for some reason, like I picked up pass-fail orals, but I never failed a pass-fail oral. So I didn't have any specials or, or repeat years, which which was good because that would have driven me completely insane. I wasn't shooting for 50% because if I'd have shot for 50%, I would have got 29. 
but I was kind of pissed off if I would get 51%. And the, the group of guys I would hang out with, we were like, you know, if we got 51%, we were pissed off because we did 1% too much study and 1% too little living. And I, honestly, like, so I'm not advocating that to all vet students on planet Earth. I, I don't suggest you sail quite that close to the wind. But what I would say is that this notion that you should always try and be top and that and that you should be perfect to everything is so destructive to your mental well-being and your happiness that i hope that i could give you permission to let it go and to tell you from the other side of the fence you know from it's a, maybe 2 weeks past the 20 years since my graduation i know you're thinking you know wow like there must never be sunshine there cuz you look so young and vital <laughs> <laughs> all right please please do not answer that he says with all the gray hair of running veterinary practices these hairs are earned that color right i'm proud of them so but from the other side if that doesn't sound like i'm too much of a, a medium <laughs> i'm talking to you from the, the other side no one gives a shit if you got merit or a distinction you know not really honestly i do not even look at that on a cv in fact if you're going to walk into my hospital and be bragging about that i would count that as a mark against you because it's already telling me you have an ego issue or you have got an issue with not accepting the best and perfectionism and that means you're going to be one stress bunny yeah which makes my life a lot harder yeah do you think it's a problem with vet students coming through that they're afraid to fail yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I do i do and you know what that leads to um, I interviewed for one of my other episodes of Blunt Dissection, the, the head trainer of the Royal Air Force here in the UK. You'll agree, that's a pretty high pressure profession. Their job is to teach people to kill as many of the opposition as possible and to stay alive doing it using, you know, vehicles that are traveling, you know, multiple times the speed of sound in tight formation, high stress, trying not to die. Like that really puts into comparison the stress level we have to deal with where things move relatively slowly nobody's trying to blow us up and this guy right the price of failure is extremely high for those guys right mm -hmm. and you can bet they're probably a bit perfectionist and trying to do things and, and, and they have to be very meticulous in their planning but they also have to be adaptable enough because you know one of the sayings in the military and I'm not a military person at all, by the way. But one of the sayings they have is that, you know, the best laid plans survive only as far as the first engagement because everything changes and you're not in control. So you have to be adaptable, which means you have to have a set core of skills that allows you to be adaptable and deploy them. But you also have to have a critical thinking brain. And of course, if you're a perfectionist, and you're afraid of failure, then your definition of failure would be that the plan didn't happen the way you visualize or saw it happening. So then where do you go? Well, then you're kind of paralyzed, right? So I think we are taught from a young age to succeed. You know, it means passing your exams and getting the highest grades and competing. And exams, of course, are very set structured things. Like I worked this out pretty early on that if you do enough past papers and you look at all the questions being written before, then the professors, frankly, aren't going to write that many new ones because they got other shit going on in their lives, right? They're not paid. To, you know, they don't get tenure by making you pass exams. They get make tenure by writing papers and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, vet schools are scored on their academic or their, their publication rates, not on the success rate of their students on the other side, right? So, spot the patterns yeah like i'll give you an example i swear to god i still have not ever read any of my pig notes mm. 
because they gave me such a blinding headache because the print was too small. I, I was just like that. And excuse my French here. I was just like that. Fuck that. I'm not reading this shit. So I, I winged it and I thought, okay, what percentage of this? How, how unlucky would I have to be for three of the five questions and the, the long form answers came up and they were from pig medicine? Like that, I would definitely fail the exam, but what are the chances of that? Pretty low. And in the end, the pig question was about E. coli and it was a general E. coli bacteriology question, which I had studied heaps because guess what? There was tons of E. coli questions in different sections. So I just played the numbers a little bit and I I knew that I kind of backed myself that I could achieve those things. But let me, I'm getting away from your question is let's get back to the Royal Air Force. They have a, a phrase in the Air Force that failure is, you know, or fail is it, there's a great acronym for it. And it's, so it's first attempt in learning. And so my best advice for you is to focus on trying, don't focus on succeeding because you're not going to succeed. Like you're going to graduate with a veterinary degree and well done. That's an amazing achievement. Okay. Well done. But then people are getting lost because then they lose a focus on what their objective is and they think, well, that's it done. You know, come out, chest puffed up, ego's all big, self-esteem's high, and then you hit the interface with the real world and of course the real world's badass and doesn't give a shit about your degree or your ego or anything like that so take it as it comes including you know the successes celebrate them the failures celebrate them even more because you tried and that is to me a far more important skill and a quality and the mental judo you have to learn to do is to pivot around the problem and go um I call this the pivot to positive. So you're feeling bad because something didn't go right. But the pivot to positive is to go, well, but what did go right? What did I learn? How many little, no matter how small those baby steps were toward the objective, if you tried, I guarantee you took some. Even if they're in the wrong direction, you learned that was the wrong direction and now you can go a different direction next time. And that is how you learn to turn failures into mini successes and you just keep going. You have to do that mental judo because that's how resilience builds. There's a lot of bullshit out there about resilience and how you guys aren't resilient. You're just young. And that's just old people like me going, oh, millennials aren't resilient. <laughs> but like none of us were born resilient. You become resilient by having the mental judo skills to cope, to get back in the bear pit and to go another round with the bear. And then you realize it's not really a bear. It's just like a big dude. And then you realize it's not really a big dude. It's like a toddler. And then you realize... There's no one in the ring with you because you got this covered. And now you're the bear, you know? <laughs> My best advice if you want to be successful is go find another ring with a bear in it and jump in there till there's no bear either. And just keep going. Keep going. And I swear to God, if you do that, right, you'll be a badass, okay? But if you fear failure, yeah, if you can't handle failure, you won't ever get in that ring. You'll, you'll jump off of it. And that's why... When I interview people for roles and they're into medicine, and this, this is a little controversial, okay? I'm not saying everybody who likes medicine is just a failed surgeon, but a lot of them are. And that's an inflammatory thing to say. I say it very deliberately. There's, those words are chosen deliberately because those people could have been amazing surgeons and could have gotten a lot of joy out of that, but they let failure occupy their brain to the point where they decided, I'm not willing to do this anymore. And sometimes that's because you don't have support. You know, you don't want to take on surgeries without support, right? Like if I was always very fortunate that, you know, and I, I screwed up a bunch of surgeries, but I always knew there was a guy in the other theater or a girl in the other theater way better than I was that 
when I failed up, not if, when I, when I failed and I screwed up, that as long as I didn't screw up beyond anything that they couldn't fix, they could come and fix it and help me and teach me and guide me back. Yeah. And that's the best advice I can give you is don't feel fear failure, but build yourself a safety net. Limit your downside. So push through another, you're not even asking questions. I'm just talking now. So you're doing this. But think of this, think of your learning and growth as like a bubble. Yeah. Okay. And I learned this also, not just from the RAF guy, but from my life experience as well. And there's three zones of learning you can be in. Now, this is what I learned from the RAF, and they defined it in this way. It's what we all know to be true when we start learning. It's just a great analogy. And there's three zones of learning. There's comfort, which actually isn't any learning. So it's very low learning. Everything's stable, static. There's stretch, where you're growing in a way that the growth is good. It's stretching. It's ta- it's testing you. It's not comfortable, but you can handle it. It's positive. Yeah. And then there's panic. And that's when you are free falling through something. You've no idea what's going on and anything could happen. And you might luck out and get through the other side or or your patient may die or the surgery might go horribly wrong and, or you might, you know, nick a little artery, sport hits the ceiling, suddenly your blood is gone because of the adrenaline surge and you wake up on the op room floor, kind of passed out, you know. But I've seen vets do that. That's panic, right? You need to exist in a zone of comfort sorry, in a zone of stretch. And right, if you're not willing to fail, you'll you'll sink into comfort, which means there is no growth and learning. And of course, guess what, guys? You just chose one of the hardest degrees on the planet. And you did that because you're badass learners. So if you stop learning, you're going to get bored. If you go into panic, then you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be in conflict with your values. Your self-esteem is going to be low because your failure is going to be potentially large. It's high risk stuff. Okay. So Think of it like there's a bubble of learning around you. This is a, this is my analogy. In that bubble is your happiness and your oxygen. And your job is to push that bubble out, but to do it gradually. So that means you don't push your bubble too hard that it pops. That's panic. Mm. And so it can stretch just like you're doing maybe a you know a skin stretching exercise or a skin graft. You've got to stretch it just enough. There's going to be enough tension on your learning bubble that it can expand and that is a beautiful place for for a veterinarian to be, or just for a human to be. It meets so many of our human needs to feel like we are mastering our craft, to feel like we're learning and developing, to feel like we're contributing. That is how you build your self-esteem. But you need your resilience along the way for the inevitable little pitfalls and speed bumps you're going to hit. But don't build them into big disasters. They're not. You'll get by. Think The sun will rise again. Everything will be okay, I promise you. Shit, these are long answers. <laughs> well, fine. that was only the first few questions. <laughs> Should we move on to talk about his books? Yes. We're going to talk about your books now. So you've got the Yellow Pages and okay. So You're okay. Vet, Now What? Yeah, yeah. So um, what, yeah, you what was your motivation behind writing these? I think teaching. I think my, my motivation a lot of what I do is to help people. It was the motivation for being a vet in the first place. I always wanted to help people and be part of communities. I grew up in a very small rural village in Scotland, about 400 people in it. Um, so I grew up in places where there was a strong sense of community. Um, Scotland's a very socialist place, so we, we care about other people, right? Then I saw, I mean, I'm, I'm an IT nerdy geek as well. So I was writing about content about... In 2001, I was writing about content for websites, and I set up a little business to help vets produce better content for their websites, which was a 
in retrospect, a really dumb idea because barely anyone had any websites. And and honestly, I don't think they've progressed much from that point, the websites that are out there now. So I saw an opportunity to write a book. I just had a, a story and some knowledge in me and I wanted to share it. So I, I wrote this little white paper and then I revisited about nine years later when I moved to Australia and social media was just starting to happen. I'm like, there's some kind of cool happening here. So I was playing with that and I built, I'd built and iterated about three versions of a practice website that could actually do what it was meant to do, which is generate more clients for practices and engage clients and tell our stories better. So I, I just wrote a book about that experience and what I learned along the way. And, and I always wanted to write a book, you know, it was one of the challenges, you know, my bucket list. So I did that and it's a, you know, anyone that's written anything, knows that that's kind of a painful experience. So you don't want to do another one too soon, but it's like getting qualifications. You know, you get itchy feet after a little while and you, you want to keep pushing yourself. And so it was a stretch thing for me to do. And then So Your Vet Now What started as a series of interviews just like this on subjects, which were transcribed. And then I, I read them and it was just meant to be like, okay, this is just a little lead magnet to get, you know, to get some emails. And I read them back and I thought, man, like I thought I sounded really intelligent and together. And I read the transcripts and and I'm like, I barely make sense. And I think we join a lot of the dots in our head of what's being said when you're, when we're communicating, you know, it's kind of a messy affair. You can't publish that as a book and be taken seriously. So what was meant to be quite a short, easy publication, then I, I read and I thought, well, this is good stuff, but it doesn't make any sense. And I just look like an absolute halfwit. So I can't publish that. So then I started this two-year journey to go deeper in some of the subjects and to really capture the essence and, and rewrite it in a way that I was proud of. So it was definitely a labor of love, but I, I could also see that graduates were suffering and I wanted to do something, you know, like you can moan and you can whinge and you complain and you can bitch or you can do something. And I was privileged to have had some great positions and some great mentors myself. And, and I, I have loved this job and this career for 20 years. So I wanted to share that because I could see that a lot of people were not having that experience. And I, honestly, it's just curiosity for me. It's just, well, why are people not having a good experience? So then I talk to people and I read about it and I form opinions and test things in my own practices and, and try and see what works. And then when I see something that works, I'm like, well, I'm going to share that either in a talk or a book or something like that. So that was the motivation. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, so that kind of leads nicely into like your VetX because you're an amazing mentor and I'm fortunate enough to know someone who's actually currently doing your VetX program here in Australia. Oh, cool. <laughs> Shout out to Sophie. Sophie's great. <laughs> and I would definitely consider getting a job there now that I know that she, well, the boss is employing your FedEx program because it's such a good program. Where, like, what makes a good mentor in your opinion, and what like prompted you to like form these mentorship programs and your podcasts and going out and doing talks about mentoring? That's a really good question, and I think that's a question that that all students want to be very clear about what that answer means for them. I think you know, there are clearly some key ingredients in happiness. And I think the ability to have a good mentor, the purpose of that mentor is allow you to be in stretch without going into panic. Mm -hmm. A good coach or mentor allows you to push through your comfort zone into your stretch zone and have a breakthrough, not a breakdown. That's the easiest way that I can put it. And so they have to be available, first thing. 
They have to actually, I don't know that they necessarily have to have coaching qualifications or mentoring qualifications. Honestly, they just have to be present. They have to be patient and they they have to be willing and kind you know, to share their knowledge in, a, in kind of a kind way, in a compassionate way. I think that requires a certain amount of empathy, you know, and empathy, empathy is a challenging one because, you know, I'm of the Gen Hexer generation, but I probably think a little bit more millennially in my tendencies, you know, so I feel like I can sort of bridge the divide to your generation and the generation before, which is probably where I sit within the ecosystem of veterinary medicine, helping to improve the communication between the two. Um, but I think from a mentor point of view, I think as the, as the mentee, what's important for you is to know what you want. Okay. So don't leave vet school and have no plan. Mm-hmm. Take a month, take two months and think deeply about what the next 12 months, two years, three years looks like for you. Like, do you think you want a residency? Fine, we'll go test that thing out. I guess it's really important to make sure that we like have a goal when we leave because I yeah. feel like like speaking to a lot of vet students, the goal in their life is always to be to get, get into, into vet school, school yeah. and then and then yeah, pass be, it and then become a vet. And yeah, then at least like then we're like, yeah. So you're a vet now. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I wrote it. It's exactly that. What is your plan? And that is lesson one in vetex as well. Uh, you know, everyone wants to know like loads of other things and you're like, no, wait, hold on guys. Like before you learn that, have a plan, you know, know where you're going because a mentor can't help you if you don't know what, what it is you want in the first place. You have to, you know, there's an old saying that says, you know, if you don't know where you're going and you don't know where you are, then any direction will do because it really doesn't matter. Right. And so people get lost. And they, they lose purpose. I and mean, you don't have purpose, then you don't have your why. If you don't have your why, that drives pretty much all of your other behaviors. So have a purpose. Now, you can have an overarching purpose that says, I want to feel like I got this in five years. And then you build out little milestone purpose goals along the way. So it's like, okay, so and if that's the case, I need to be able to do dentistry, imaging, surgery, medicine in a competent way without having to ask questions. And so... I had great mentors that were smart people that were, I always worked places where I I knew there was somebody who was doing what it was I wanted to do. So go hang out with people who show the attributes that you aspire to have, because you are going to become the sum part of all the people you hang out with. You know, we're all our parents to start with and we all become our parents. Like as we age, you think you dance cool now, but wait, give it another 20 years, you'll dance like your mom and dad. Like, oh, it's coming. So just enjoy that. That's why I hang out with these two, because I'm a first-year baby, and these guys are all both old. <laughs> we don't have gray hair, though. We don't have gray hair. Not yet. Yeah, yeah, but you can't get away from the fact that those earrings rock. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Look at that. It's like the watermelon earrings there. Yeah. yeah I, love I love them. Very addicted to watermelons. Obsession. So. Yeah. Obsession. Love it. So I almost forgot the question. So yeah, mentors. Yeah. Okay. So have a clear plan of what you want. Choose a mentor that's doing that already. So if if, if your five-year milestone, I'm just going to use this as an example. Okay. You can make up your own mind on what, what your goals are, but let's say you want to feel like you're a rounded out vet that doesn't need to ask for help and are nice and calm and not anxious anymore. Okay. So, so let's go choose my first job and work with people who are good leaders. They look like they've got it. They're not freaking out and doing like crazy stuff. Driving, you know, so they've built a good team. 
they have a competent skill set so they can teach me surgery, they can teach me dentistry, or, or maybe there's a couple of vets and, and they've got those skills. And that's exactly what I did. You know, I worked uh, for a guy, he was a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons, amazing surgeon. He was supported by people who were good medics. They really kicked my ass into shape because I knew nothing when I left vet school. And I really started my learning in veterinary medicine day one. Like, I did not even know that we should be, you know, like you should do a urine sample on cats with kidney disease and, and monitor their potassium or their phosphate and potassium. Like, I was a dumbass. Yeah, I ended up being head vet of two big doctor teams, like, uh, you know, 15 to 18 doctor teams. And I'm, I'm a good vet, you know, I'm competent. I'm not a dumbass and I'm a very, very good general practice vet. Like I'm, I'm as comfortable in the theater, the diagnostics room. I will never love diabetes, but I can manage it. And, and I'm a, a very, very good dentist because that's the disease that all of your patients are going to get. So, you know, I can handle myself in veterinary medicine. So just set your goals, choose your mentors and work in a place that, and don't choose for money, first of all. Okay, choose for support, mentoring, and something that meets your goals. You know, the power is with you guys when you leave university. Right now, like that probably won't be the case forever. These things swings and roundabouts all the time. But right now, you know, the other thing, that, the reason I wrote the book and the other reason I wanted to be doing the podcasts and, and helping practices is because, you know, you guys are in demand. The problem is that the, mentoring the leadership skills that are required to really put that caring arm around you and and you know tend to you guys well so that you go on and have a great career in veterinary medicine that's not so good and so people are taking on graduates into roles where they probably shouldn't take graduates right now corporates are doing this too because they're desperate they're growing and you know they're not always treating people great I have to say uh, they haven't got it figured out and so you wind up with a mentor who is three years out of college or four years out of college. Well, let me tell you, that is the visually impaired leading the blind. That is not, you know, you're, you're still going to get run down by a truck if you step out on that road, right? That's one of the concerns I have is that as practices are bought and sold, where do the mentors go? You know, and, and a lot of them are getting paid good money for their practices and, and then they're done. And so I think there needs to be a focus profession-wide on, on providing better mentorship. And of course, there, you know, you can do all the training courses you like on mentoring, but a lot of it is your life experience. If you are not a great veterinarian comfortable in your skin, then are you going to be an amazing mentor? You know, probably not compared to the 20, 30-year vet who has just got this covered, who wants to give back. So, you know, that's a call to arms for everybody who's selling their practices to, you know, don't give up completely. Make yourself available as a mentor. You can still have a brilliant input on, on, on for the next generation for sure. sure. Hassle these old dudes, right? Don't lose touch of them. They're too valuable to us. That's why we're interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going anywhere unless I get hit by a bus. So. <laughs> Do that. Please do. All right, so just a bit conscious of time, so I think we're going to move on to questions that our followers um, sent in when we put a call out for questions. So the first one that we've got is it can be quite intimidating to be a rural vet if you're like originally a city kid. How do you think that affects the type of practice that vet students go into when they graduate? Uh, it's a really that's a really interesting question. And actually, I think that's a very good, I, you know, I'm glad I've lived and worked in Australia for seven years because I, I sort of understand the dynamic and I understand how hard it is for the, the rural practices. Like they're screaming out for young vets. 
you know, and, and I think the same is true of just a lot of the rural towns in Australia are losing their youth core you know, as, as people move more into city living and, and want that. It's a brain drain, a talent drain, an edge drain. Like, you know, it's like, you know, it's the same thing in Japan. has One of the oldest populations in these villages are populated by old people. They're going to go extinct. Now, it's not, it's not going to be that bad in Australia, obviously. I honestly think there's a huge opportunity for all of you vet students out there in getting out into the country, especially in Australia. And it doesn't exist in the UK. It doesn't exist in a lot of places in the world where things have become so intense in the referral side of things that your fear of making a mistake drives you to refer things that really you should do yourself Yeah, yeah. and are wonderful growth opportunities. Well, if you go work rural in the nearest referral place is a two, three hour drive, guess what? You are going to get to do a lot more work. You're doing it. For sure. Right? Yeah. Which is what you want. Now, I hear the the question there because you know when you're from the city you know you feel like a city slicker you don't speak the language doesn't matter that is just a story in your head like i felt that way with equine medicine okay like if you don't if you don't know the words then you can't possibly be a good equine vet well that's that's some dumb shit that's in the head of equine people sorry it is but it shouldn't be in your head because if you know your stuff you can learn that and so the question, you know, that's the way to pivot around a problem is to go, okay, I have this problem. I'm a city person and I, I don't know if this person's a boy or a girl. So I'm going to go with girl since, since that's the, the odds say that's probably the case. But okay, what's the problem? I feel like a city slicker. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm, but I fancy working in the country. All right, great. But so the, the, the thing to do is to pivot around it. What's your pivot to positive? That's my question. It's my curiosity. And that's to go, all right, so what's the solution? And the, the solution is, what it always comes back to this, what I need to do to fit in and to not feel like a city slicker. So is it to go and make a list? I bet you can think of five to 10 things right away you could do to make yourself feel like you fit in. Go buy some blundstones and a checky shirt. Go smear yourself in cow shit. (laughs) Go hang out with some mixed practice vets and learn the lingo. You just throw yourself in and immerse yourself and you'll get there. But don't let fear of looking stupid or fear of failure put you off your dream. And and remember, you will fail. Somebody will call you and be like, what do you know anyway? You're just a city person. So what? That's their problem. Okay. If they want to rob you of your opportunity to do what it is you want to do or love, then screw them. That's their problem. Don't let them put you off, right? Just keep going. Learn from it. Keep going. You'll get there. Okay. This speaks a little bit to the imposter syndrome, right? I hate that phrase. I hate the fact it even came out of my mouth because it's not a freaking syndrome. It's a feeling, okay? And it's a feeling we self-generate and it is a completely normal part of the learning cycle, okay? So if you feel like an imposter, good for you. You should. And I hope you always feel a bit like an imposter, right? If you're unconsciously incompetent, you think you've got this and you've got it covered. That's where we all start as learning. Another phrase for that is being dumb as a rock, Okay. And dangerous, right? Then you try something, you fail. Now you're consciously incompetent and now you feel like an imposter, right? But you actually took a step forward toward learning. So keep going, keep trying, have a mentor, learn. What do you got to do? You keep going at it, you'll become consciously competent. And then eventually you become unconsciously competent. And then if you keep going, you'll become freaking awesome, (laughs) right? I don't think that last column's in there, but I like to put it in there because it's fun. It's just part of the learning pathway. But because we're sciencey, wiencey, slightly nuts, we like to label everything. We've given it this label like it's some freaking disease. It's not a disease. 
Like seriously, you want to, like? Do you think I didn't feel like an imposter writing a book when my English teachers told me like I couldn't write for toffee? You you think like the first time I got up on stage and spoke to an audience, I didn't feel like a complete imposter? You know, like I was standing in the U.S. You know, this little Scottish guy from Australia. I'd been invited to speak on performance management. I'd felt like I'd done an okay job, but I was just scratching the surface of the the topic. And I'm in this room next to this guy called Sean McVeigh, who's like the NAVC speaker of the year, two years in a row. Like he's the rock star of the US. And you don't think I felt like an imposter in that moment? Like hells yeah. I th- you know, you think I thought I was, I'm going to be found out and someone's going to ask me that question. I don't know. And then it's all over. Of course I felt like that, but you know what? None of the bad stuff happened. And here I am, you know, I now speak and fill these rooms. So you just keep going and you, you don't listen to the bullshit story that doesn't assist you. You, you write your own story and you just see it for what it is. Part of learning is my motivation to keep growing and keep going. Fake it till you make it, right? There's an element of that, but fake it with the safety net. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? If somebody had asked me the question I didn't know, the safety net was, that's a great question. And you know what? I'm going to find out and get back to you. Next question. The safety net in surgery is have somebody next door that can bail you out and, and at the very least know what you should not cut. Like, where's your, this, beyond this point, no harm shall, you know, you no way back. You know, where's that moment? Know that and don't take on the surgery if you don't have that support there and you don't have to do it. Like there's times I call them Hail Mary moments where you just got to go. You just, there's no option. You got to go. In those moments, you will be in panic and it may or may not work out. But if you have to do it and you're in a country rural location and nobody else is there to help, boy, that you're going to learn. And, you know, the body can take a lot more punishment than you you would believe. Mm-hmm. So go for it. Absolutely. All right. So obviously you've got a lot of followers and people enjoy listening to you. We'd like to know, well, our followers would like to know, how do you feel when you hear people say, oh, you're such an inspiration or, oh, I fangirl that guy hardcore? Like, what goes through your mind? <laughs> like us in our last yeah. podcast where you turned up and we were all like, oh, my God, oh, fangirling. <laughs> I don't have that sense of, I think it's very hard because for me, I just sit in my office, I write stuff, I produce stuff, and I try and help people. The objective isn't to become famous and actually I, I cringe at the thought of that a little bit because I swear too much I'm not you know I think I'm, I'm always really conscious and I think all of us with Instagram followings or social followings I think one of the reasons there's a lot of anxiety for everyone but for vets included is that we all have this belief that everyone's life is so freaking spectacular and you know it's like you know my shit life right yeah And so I want you to always bear in mind, everyone listening, that when you look at someone's Instagram feed, that is the tarted up, um, selfie-filtered best bits of the day. And what we don't post, and I'm so seriously considering putting having a separate feed, which is actually the shit bits of life as well, because we all have that stuff going on. So the rock stars that you see out there that... You know, I don't know. For me, I I try to be careful and not just broadcast about how I see some folks out there and they're like, "Oh, I'm so amazing! Like this is the best thing ever!" And my life isn't my life so great? And it makes me want to puke and punch myself in the face because I know, like, it's not real. That to me becomes ego, and ego is really, really dangerous for you and for everybody around you. So, like, when you guys reacted like that, I'm like, "Oh, well, that's weird," because. <laughs> 
all I did was write a book and try and help people. But I'm also conscious of the fact that there is a responsibility as you become better known to keep it real, to keep it authentic. And I think that's probably what's connecting with people for me anyways, is that like what you see is what you get like, yes, I swear a little bit too much and you will find me at a bar with a pint of beer in my hand. And, and I'm happy to share my failures as well because there's many of them and I don't want anybody coming out, out thinking, and I write about these in the book as well, you know, the, the some of the, the fuck-ups I've made along the way. You know, life is not easy. It's not meant to be easy, but that does not mean it's not fun. Like when I'm having my most fun when I'm deepest in a learning state, whether it's learning to snowboard, like, and I'm going to say, so this is a great example. When I was snowboarding in Austria and you're like, oh my God, isn't life so amazing? You were snowboarding in Austria. It's like, yeah, like that's once in 10 years. And then I basically fell down and bounced off of a mountain solidly for two days. And yes, I loved it. I was black. I was blue. I looked like a shit snowboarder, but because I am. But was I enjoying myself? Oh, God damn right. It was one of the most fun things I ever did. Could I walk the next day? Barely. But I posted a picture on my Instagram feed of me. Then it looked like doing this epic sort of front rail carve. And then, and what I posted was actually, I totally doctored the image. If you saw the video that that came from, it was seconds before epic wipeout and totally out of control. And that look on my face isn't, you know, practice concentration and totally nailing it. It's fuck, I'm getting heloed off the mountain in about two seconds. I'm dead. You know, so be careful what you believe. Be careful the stories you tell yourself. And if I ever sound like I'm getting, you know, too full of bullshit, call me on it. Like that's hubris. And do believe me, like there's lots of stuff in all of our lives. We all have it going on. We all have our challenges, our trials. Don't try and have a life without them. That will not work and it will be a boring life. Just learn to build a boat that you can ride the rapids in on your terms and forget what everyone else is posting on Instagram. It's all bullshit anyway. Yep. Sweet. So last question I'm going to ask from the followers before we head off into a quick fire session like you like to do. Ooh. Do vets ever or often use the help of animal physios or chiropractors? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I, you know, I actually think we should do more. So, so as vets, we get, we kind of, and this is another, you know, example of ego. We believe that we are omnipotent. You know, omnicompetent is what we're supposed to be. Omnipotent is what we feel. Um, and we're neither, actually. Like, we're omni-incompetent when we graduated and we gradually get better at things. And none of us is omnipotent. So I think when we do surgery and we don't consider how much else can happen after the surgery to help, then we're doing our patients a massive disservice. Um, when we, you know, a lack of evidence for something does not mean it does not work. It just means we don't know how it works yet. A solid bunch of evidence that says this is nonsense is very powerful, right? So homeopathy is a great case in point. There is such overwhelming evidence that this is, you know, this is snake oil that I don't mind, like if my clients ever want to use it, I got no problems with that because I know it's not going to do any harm. So go ahead and use it. If you want to spend your money and, and you believe that, then we know the placebo effect is alive and well, and I'll take anything that's going to help my patient get better. So if it makes you feel better and it helps you stay on point with my treatment plan because we're not in conflict over your desire to want to use homeopathy, I got no issue with that. Cairo, you know, I've genuinely terrified chiropractors and, you know, K 
occasionally get a bad back. So there's another tip. Don't watch your backs, kids. Don't be lifting up those stupid dogs. Engage your core, lift properly. But I'd say now I do see a Cairo, and if I just go for a massage to to help free up my back muscles sometimes, and I don't get Cairo, I, I feel like I've been shortchanged. So does it work? Like, I don't understand it, but do I want it? Yes, I do. And do I feel better after it? I do. Is Does that mean it's helping? No idea. I was conflicted about this for a while, you know, and I, in the end, I bought a class four laser. I actually bought the first one in Australia and I started to do keyhole surgery um, similar reasons because is it absolutely necessary to do them? No, but does it enhance things and push patient care forwards in a way that fits with my values and enhances the professional image? I think it does. So I would look to integrate these things. I think the, the key thing is it's called complementary medicine for a reason. Look to integrate it. Your patients or your patient owners, they are all over this. They want a piece of it. So why not offer them things that you are comfortable the science is a little bit better than uh, than is not there. And, and you know, we know that physio on animals that have cruciate surgery, they should all go through laser and physio sessions or you know, acupuncture can do amazing things. You know, I work with some amazing acupuncturists. There's some very, very good rehab courses taught in the US by orthopedic surgeons, you know. And I think back to if I had my time again, would I use these guys more? Absolutely, of course I would, because they definitely, you know, they definitely make a difference. And I think your patients, you know, if we think that just by giving them a bit of paper and telling them to cage rest them for six weeks, we're doing as much as we can, then I think we're way off what's possible. And and we're kidding ourselves if we think they're those clients put those animals in a cage for six weeks. No, they want to feel like they're helping as well. So involve them, engage them, and these things, let them do that. Because, yeah, yeah, owners really want to help. Yeah. I'm actually really interested in the whole chiropractor type thing because I've told the girls before I love giving massages. So I'm like, if I like doing that to people, why don't I try it with animals? (laughs) You'll be very popular on campus, I would suggest, in that case. (laughs) Yeah. Hard day on rotations. Everyone's back to yours. I need a shoulder massage. Help. No, I, I agree. Like, you know, these things help you and they help us. We know animals experience pain the same way we do. We know that an emotionally happy animal, like, is a much better patient. We know that cortisol screws up healing. And, you know, we know endorphins and, and dopamine are, are, are happy, happy chemicals. So why not do things that improve these things for animals as well? I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, my Dana cow case that with the CT, they did massage and I think that's why she's still probably alive still with it so I think that's amazing you know I've got my t-shirt can you see my t-shirt yeah vegan <laughs> I'm basically just a walking I've got my I've got my wristbands on here for for the oceans and for it was it was just big it was pride festival here yeah oh yeah, yeah. so you post yeah yeah, there's some amazing floats out there. So I'm basically a, a walking advert for social social inclusion and social responsibility. So so yeah, I thought that was amazing care of, of those guys. They've been putting a cow in the CT and um, I'm not going to go down the vegan hole right now, but uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, Fab, should we do some quick fire questions? The first few, I feel like you can't have long answers because I, I know you always say like, if you want to answer it long, you sure can. <laughs> the first few you can't okay. really, but the next like, few will we'll give you a chance. Yeah. yeah, so it's like a this okay. or that kind of thing. Um, Got it. It's going to be Australia versus UK food edition. The first bit. 
I hold citizenship of both, so I'm conflicted. Ooh, exactly. You know? Okay. All right. In the corner of my office, I've got my kangaroo holding the Aussie flag sits right by my desk. So nice. All right. Um, Vegemite or Marmite? I. Oh, Wow, this is like an absolute dead heat. It's the same thing with a different name. I'm going to go Vegemite. Okay, cool. Okay. Arnott's Tim Tams or McVitie's? McVitie's Penguins. Neither, because they both have dairy. Oh, oh that's true. We didn't oh, think about that. <laughs> but if you chucked an Oreo in there, then I would choose that. <laughs> All right, Oreo it is. <laughs> No, I don't even know where they come from. They're just delicious. And honestly, when I wasn't vegan, I'd go Tim Tams all day long. (laughs) Yeah. Twisties chips or Walker's chips? Twisties. Oh, okay. Okay. Bushel tea or? Although I, I was an absolute Cheezels addict. Oh, yeah. I have orange fingers. I looked like I smoked like forty a day because I was just eating boxes of cheesels. We've got somebody saying here that Vegemite and Marmite is not the same, and I happen to agree with. Yeah, that. Vegemite and Marmite are completely. No, I know. I, no, you're true. You're true. They scrape the bottom out of different beer barrels and put them in different jars. You're right. They're not the same. No, I I, I do prefer Vegemite though. Oh, okay. So much better. Um, Bushels tea or Taylor's of Harrogate Yorkshire tea. At Taylor's Tea all day long. You guys have no idea how to make a cup of tea. <laughs> no, you know, I, I drink Taylor's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. yeah, you guys blow chunks at tea. Coffee, yeah, Aussies all day long. Tea, eh-eh. <laughs> <laughs> this one's – Leanne's going to take this away because they're a bit controversial on it. They're, they're calling pavlova an Australian thing, but I'm from New Zealand and it's 100% a New Zealand thing, so, you know. <laughs> what she said, what she said. <laughs> I've heard that from my – I said I've only heard it from my Kiwi friends, though. <laughs> <laughs> They've got to have something. Okay, go. still right. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's pavlova or eating mess. I'll take the same thing. Surely yeah. pavlova. Surely. I don't like either. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't know if I like you anymore. How could you not like pavlova? I, I well, I mean, let's set the vegan thing aside for a second, but I don't have a terrible sweet tooth. So I, I just, I'm, I will have starter and main, but rarely will I have dessert. It drives my wife crazy because she has to have a whole dessert herself and can't share dessert. <laughs> Be cool. Okay. Lamingtons or Jaffa cake? Lammies, mate. Lammies. <laughs> a nice a lammy and a cup of tea. Billy Connolly says this really nice because he's he's married to an Australian and she says he loves coming to Australia because I get my lammy and a cup of tea. It's lovely. Oh my I god! Agree. No, nice. perfect. So that's all for the um, food edition. We've got okay. some like cool questions now. <laughs> we want to know what is your favorite animal to treat. I really dig the older dogs. When I was in Sydney, I had a wonderful relationship with a a rescue organization called Pause for Thought. And their mission became, we sort of, I don't think it started out this way, but it became because because I I helped them to make it possible. But really, those guys made it possible themselves. But the mission was to give the oldest, most knackered animals in the pound that nobody would touch with a barge pole a good end to feel loved, not be in pain, and just to have their sunset be a pleasant experience. Marika, who runs that, is an amazing lady. She was very early got the idea that telling these stories would gain a lot of support, and it did. It really moved people. People connected with these animal stories. So she would go to the pounds, and she got known 
to, you know, the pounds would end up calling her with the most knackered old cases. They knew they were going to have to euthanize. They didn't want to do it either. But these animals would get dumped off for a variety of reasons. No judgment on why it happened. It just happened. All sorts of reasons. And so Marika would go find them. She would rock up with three or four of these most knackered old animals. And I think she was just challenging me more and more. She would go find more and more screwed up stuff and deposit them on my exam room table. And I would look at them. And, and so she said, if I can give them three months, I'm happy with that. So they would generally have the worst teeth in the world, heart murmurs, mammary tumors, and arthritis and so we would blood test them heartworm test them we would parasite treat them we would get them built up stable enough for an anesthetic either with heart medication usually good nutrition and tlc we would take care of their surgeries and we would neuter them dental them operating their tumors all in one go like you know so i know that we're not meant to do that but we've one shot with these guys and that's how much the money would last so we'd fix them and then we'd get 18 months average survival time. So I love treating the old crusty dogs. That's lovely. We could just hit them with a real quick question. Surely he's going to write off. Favorite book? <laughs> Go quick. Um, oh shit, I read so many books. Uh, I would have to say probably Lord of the Rings. Okay, favorite apps for product, full productivity? Or meditation or exercise. Okay, my, most controversial thing about people... I did my first ever live stand-up comedy gig and ended up sleeping rough the same night. Long story. <laughs> Best advice you've ever been given? 12 seconds. Don't give a shit what anyone else thinks. Follow your dreams. Work hard. You'll make them. Okay, five seconds. I'm just going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome. Bye. <laughs> Peace out. Thanks, girls. <laughs> we do another one? Yeah, quickly. I feel like we should... Send a message and be How much fun was that? Like, they're good fun. They're good fun. Good sports. And I just want to say a massive thank you uh, to them. Didn't they do a good job? Like, the good questions, good listener questions. I hope I didn't screw up the answers too much. They want me to go back on real quick. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go straight back on. Um, so they want me to do a very, very quick... Uh, Jump back in there, and we'll see what's see what's kicking. Hello, everybody, coming back. Thank you. Thank you for joining again. Part two. Blame Instagram for only having an hour. That's okay though. Um, favorite book at the moment. Um, I am reading. Um, so I'm reading two books. Uh, one is audio. I, I get through a lot of audiobooks because I feel like that's a great way to turn your dead time into useful time. So my walks to work. Uh, you know, I walk every day to work. It's maybe a 20, 25 minute walk. I have a, you know, an office. It's a shared office space where I, I go and I, I think about things a lot and then I write a lot. And I, I try and move my position as to working as deeply as possible on subjects that matter rather than just being too distracted. Now, I've, I don't succeed in that a lot of the time because my nature is I'm like a magpie and I'm very easy. You know, I like a Labrador. It's like, ooh, squirrel. <laughs> you know, and I'll zoom off and start chasing something. So, and that's my nature. So, you know, I work hard on subjects. I try and go deep on certain subjects where I have hung around the profession enough time that I'm like, oh, that looks like a problem. And then I, th I think, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a problem. So this is the problem I have with Facebook groups, a lot of them, where they're just big cesspits of negativity and, and it feeds off of each other. 
and and cyberbullying as well. And and I just got sick of a lot of them and just left. But actually, what they're, they're good at articulating are the problems. What they are hopeless at articulating are solutions. And so what I do then is go away and I look at the the problems and I I then you know either dream up solutions or use the things that are in my head that are already I know work as solutions because I've tested them out and used them in my own clinics. And so I, I go deep and I do a lot of reading. So I, I read, uh, right now I'm reading Deep Work by Cal, uh, I want to say Jackson, it's not Jackson. Um, deep Work by Cal somebody. You'll find that. It's a very interesting book and I think it's a great read on how to get the most, be more productive with your time, how we're all basically just distracted little monkeys nowadays and that really affects our potential, the productivity we have. And I'm also, I'm doing a lot of reading on managing the millennials because I'm going to be writing a lot of content about that for my new, yeah, I'm doing a VetX leaders class now as well, where I'm, you know, I'm actually going to rebrand the graduate community into VetX Vitality because I, I don't think it's just for graduates. I think it's just, these are life skills for anybody. And I think you guys are kind of overwhelmed when you come out of school. And also you're, you know, you're in that consciously incompetent phase. It's when you hit consciously, you're unconsciously incompetent. When you hit consciously incompetent, you're probably going to come to a thing like VETEX because now you know you've got a problem. Well, what's the solution? And, and that's what we teach in VETEX. We teach how to manage your, you know, how to set objectives, manage your personal head trash, your personal talk to a way that is to your benefit. Work on your beliefs, uh, work on your communication skills with colleagues and with staff, with clients. You know, we give you access to really the people I interview in Blunt Dissection all come in and do sessions for me in, in Vetex and go much deeper on their subject areas. So I'm kind of, you know, if I have a competitive advantage, if I have an unfair advantage in the marketplace, it is that I've been willing to put myself out there, um, willing to look like an idiot in front of lots of people and regularly do so, <laughs> not just willing to, but actually achieve that. It's not really the objective, but it happens. And I just accept that it happens. And so I've, I'm good at connecting with people and bringing people together. I think we're doing something that's making a difference to the people who are in the community so but i think it's really for our oldest community members 30 years post-graduation who who wrote to me and said i don't want to take a place from a graduate because i think what you're doing is great but i never learn any of this stuff and i really feel like it would help me and so of course i was like i can't say no to that so and she's one of our best community members and she's really a mama a mama bear to the rest of the the people in there and she's learned so much that's helped her so you know, when I see that, I think actually these are very common. We're teaching principles that would help anybody who wants to get a start in a happy life as a vet. So I, th I felt like changing the name to Vitality was probably a good idea. So, yeah, so that's that's probably there. I digressed as I do. That's, that's, that's fine. fine. I could answer the questions as long as you wanted. So you've achieved that. <laughs> Favorite apps for productivity? You mentioned you do meditation. Oh, I didn't even mention the book, did I? So Managing the Millennials is the one I'm reading at the minute. Favorite apps for productivity. I dislike apps intensely because I think they're anti-productivity. So one of the best signs that you are totally screwed up and a, a bit of a mental wreck when it comes to productivity is you have an iPhone on your wrist and an iWatch on your wrist because the distraction is the enemy. And so I have a mastery journal that I keep, which I set my focus time to maybe 45, 50 minutes with a 10 minute break. And I work only on that task without distraction wherever possible. 
so I switched my computer to silent or, you know, I switched my phone to airplane and there's nothing more important in that moment unless the building's burning down around me. And that's how you get things like books written. So I actually do like, I like Evernote. Um, I use that a lot. I don't think any of the social media things are good for productivity. They're good for communication. But yeah, I think just getting in my own headspace is the best app for productivity. It's the opposite. It's anti-apps. So switch all your apps off if you want to be productive. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so we want to hear more about your um, comedy stand and your sleeping rough. Oh, damn it. I, I used that one because I knew I was going to get out of it really quick. All right, so this comes back to comfort zones, okay? And what I found as a speaker is I'd entered a zone of comfort where I was no longer stretched. And I thought, okay, well, I could stay there, but that's not my nature. And if, if you want to be the best at something, you have to keep yourself pushing forward. And so I wanted to do something that would make me feel, you know, I go in front of a stage people, full of people now. I have pre-match energy, but it's not, and it's nerves, but it's not fear. It's let's go. I, I just want to get in there and start doing my thing. And that settles really fast. Like I barely have slides now. I have pictures. I don't have a lot in my slides ever, and I storytell. And you know, and you, you, when you ask me, "Oh, do you want to do prep for this?" I, I, I like I prefer to shoot. I, I want to trust what's in my brain. I trust that what I've learned. You know, I've done the hard work. I've done the learning. I practice. Like, like I'm not a consultant who's just out there. You know, I don't have an MBA. I do have a certificate in business. Uh, I do have a veterinary degree, but I've got 20 years of life experience of testing, of practicing, and, and having to write talks gives me, it's like an exam. You have to focus and sharpen your razor blade because there's a responsibility when you're going to, you know, I'm going to come on and do a call with you. I want to make sure I'm going to share information that's good. It's going to help people. And if I haven't done my research, then that's not true. That makes me a charlatan and that makes me a part of the problem, which I, I don't want to be. I want to help people. So I'm always looking for ways to try and sharpen the tool and get the message across. And comedy is a great vehicle for doing that. And also I, I'd always, you know, again, it was on the bucket list, do a stand-up show. And when I thought about doing it, then, you know, the icy claw of fear that comes up and grips you from time to time. Well, it didn't just come up and grip me. It came up and punched me square in the guts. I'm like, oh boy, that makes me feel a bit sick. I'm in. <laughs> and so I booked a weekend comedy class. And so we, we started on the Saturday mid-morning and by 4 p.m. on a Sunday, we knew we were going to give a live show. All of the acts were going to give a live show. Now, it was just to our friends and family and invited others. It wasn't to a room full of strangers. So it was definitely a, it was a, a sympathetic audience. But still it was squeaky bum time knowing you had a deadline to perform. And so we learned the structure of jokes, how to write jokes, timing, bit of stagecraft. And so I'm, I was just able to incorporate those things into my routine, but also be more comfortable in the moment to see a joke coming and be able to structure that in a way to get the best engagement, which for comedy is laughter. Your job is to make people laugh. But when you get engagement, you can deliver your message through that as a vehicle. And so it, it's a very profound storytelling tool that allows me to deepen the engagement with audiences and also give people an experience because people show up. I don't want them to go to sleep. I want them to go away saying, well, that was one of the best damn talks I ever had. I was entertained and I retained the information this guy was saying. So I come off like a goofball 
a lot of the time and and that's sort of a natural state for me but they're very serious messages like if i'm trying to teach a room to manage your self-talk i know that if that message goes through then some of them are not going to get depressed and some of them are not going to commit suicide so i use a fun vehicle like that to deliver a message but there's a serious point to it and so there's a lot of you know I don't work hard to make it look goofy and, and, and kind of sometimes a bit crazy, but I work really hard behind it to make sure that the content is sound and I'm, I am confident that I'm doing a good job in delivering the message. And I'm a feedback junkie as well. So, so that's the comedy thing. How did I end up? So I did the comedy gig, crapped myself for two days, worked hard, put, put what we learned, did the gig. It went well. And then, so we all went out for beers afterwards. <laughs> and now my wife sleeps as light as a feather. So if I creep into the room, I do, I work, you know, I, I work when I work. I don't have a set number of hours that I work every day. I just, when inspiration takes me, I'll work. And so, so sometimes coach, clients want coaching calls at silly hours. And so I, I, I sometimes work late. If I creep into the room as quiet as a mouse and drop a pin, my wife will wake up and give me a hard time. That night I get back and it's about two in the morning and I realize as I get to my front door that I've not got my key. And I'm like, oh no, I know this is January. It's like minus five outside. And I'm wearing a big thick jacket and gloves and a hat. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I knock on the door, nothing. And I knock a bit louder, nothing. And I'm banging the door and I'm like, I'm going to wake the whole damn street up at two in the morning. It's echoing around, nothing. I cannot wake my wife up for love nor money or not that she's letting on so i end up like well there's only one thing i can do here and that is and so i went i've got like a little basement i just like a couple of cardboard boxes and i sat in my steps and i slept my steps from two till five thirty i woke up i was so cold that i couldn't feel my feet in my hands so then i just walked for another half hour to warm up uh this was about an hour then my wife woke up and she's like, why have you been out all night and give me a hard time? I'm like, well. <laughs> so that's how I ended up doing my first ever live comedy gig and sleeping rough. I have to say, actually, it was quite, a, they were both interesting experiences. You learn something from everything, right? So I learned that everybody should try and do live comedy because if you're scared about anything, I'm telling you, when those lights are on and you've got a mic in your hand and a room full of people are expected to make laugh, I have seen people lost in those lights and you're like, whoa, that's what stage fright looks like. They're just gone. But pull themselves back and get a standing ovation and walk off that stage having conquered a demon and know that that person will be scared of very little again in their life. So for people who have to present, and as vets, we're all going to have to present and communicate Comedy is a great vehicle for it. So I encourage you to do something that pushes you far out of your comfort zone. And the panic there is, you know, no one's going to laugh. People think I'm stupid and I'll be booed off stage. Who cares? You still did it. You still push yourself out of a zone. So I think it's a great thing to learn the skills of presentation and communication. That you will succeed if you learn your non-clinical skills. You guys as students are all very focused on the clinical but it's the non-clinical actually determine your career success. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And as a vet, you have to have a good sense of humor. Hey? Yeah. yeah. Like, maybe yeah. we should set up like a comedy night or something. <laughs> yeah. Some up there. <laughs> Do some lives up here. You totally should. Definitely. Set up a review. Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. So best and worst advice you've ever been given or gave? Best? Oh, I ask this question a lot, don't I? And this is one of my favorite questions to ask, and I 
I was sure you were going to have an answer like straight away. <laughs> no, I think my grandfather gave me three bits of advice and I don't think they're all absolutely accurate. One of them was, one of them's great advice and it is, you know, he's my grandpa, so he's from a different time and a different era, but he said, never upset the little people, which I took to mean the people who you see to serve you. So it's the people who are invisible to everybody else, the chambermaids, the dinner ladies, the cleaners, you know, look after everybody, be nice, be nice, be kind. I think that was the gist of what he was saying is don't be too big for your boots. You know, you will have a happier life if if you do that. And I, I extended that to include the nurses, which I think is very important for us as vets is to look after your nurses and your receptionist and don't think your job is more important than theirs. My, I extended that advice from what my grandpa originally said. So that was one thing. He also said, don't let the sun set in an argument which I actually strongly disagree with because sometimes we're just too emotionally hot and engaged to be able to move past the emotion and to, you know, when we're emotional, our limbic systems lit up and we're fight or flight. We don't think rationally and we say things we regret. So it's better to let the moment pass and then come back to the problem and seek a solution through negotiation. That was probably advice. It wasn't the worst bit of advice, and then the other bit of advice he gave me was don't drink in a pub without windows, which I thought was in Glasgow where I was at university. It was very wise. And apart from anything else, he says, there's no easy way to get thrown out of it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like it's a lot easier to go through a window than a wall. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. God bless his soul. Thanks, Gramps. Said some advice you'd give yourself as a grad student or while you were through vet school what would you tell yourself i would tell myself that don't let other people's opinions put you off of the ideas you have because they're great ideas and you should go for it i am an idea generator that's part of my profile and I think a couple of times I was put off of ideas, which would have been amazing ideas by the opinions of others. And and I, th I think my advice to me would be back yourself, go all in. Even if it fails, it's it's not a biggie. There will be another day tomorrow to go after it. But, but back yourself, you know, I think that's, that's the advice I would give me if I went back. Yeah. Nice. Love that. So we've got one more here. Um, if you could post one thing on social media, Instagram, Twitter or whatever, what would you post? What would you say? It would definitely, it would be nice. In running your podcast, you were going to get it as a tattoo or something? Yeah. Well, Sh Sheila Robertson, who I interviewed, who's just a wonderful human being, she, I think she said, be kind. And, you know, so one of the things I worked on in for me personally, but also for all of the businesses that I ever own and work with, these will be the core values. And I share them when I speak at, at conferences. I share them in the VEX community as well. And they're actually the, they're the values that I expect people who join in the VEX community to live by as well. And one of them started out as just be nice. You know, we all deserve the respect of each other and, and life is a lot better when we give it. And I, I get that we don't always feel like it. I get that sometimes we you know, we've had a bad day or, you know, the, we tripped over the dog or the car didn't start or somebody broke a window or we had a fight with our partner. You know, I, I get that. This, these things happen, but it's not everybody else's job to 
to have to deal with the fallout of that. It's your job. It's your job to manage your emotional state so that you can be the best version of yourself each day and not the worst. You you owe everyone to be the best version of yourself and you deserve to see the best version of them. And when you're the best version of you, you'll get the best version of the others around you. And when you're not, you'll get the worst version because emotions are very infectious. So you're really, you're robbing them and you of, of a great day when you deviate from that piece of advice. So, you know, be nice. I'm not saying it's always easy, but that's part of the, the practice of emotional intelligence and emotional control is to be able to manage your emotional state. Something which... I blew chunks at when I was younger, but I'm much, much better at now. And I'm a better, happier person for it. Absolutely. Great advice. I love it. Love it. Profit. Sweet. (laughs) I think that's probably all the questions we have. But we just want to say thank you so much for agreeing to let us take over your blood dissection. We've had a blast. It's so much fun. It was lovely meeting you. Hope you had fun. I've had a blast. I'm... Uh, very grateful for the opportunity to speak with you guys. I'm I'm grateful for your support and that you feel positive about the work that I'm doing. So thank you for your time and thank you to everybody who's tuned in and asked questions. You know, I know we all have a finite amount of attention and I always feel very humbled that anybody would spend any of it on listening to what I've got to say. So I don't take that for granted. And also we we were going to do a giveaway, were we not? We were going to give some merch away or something. So a company online, surgicalcaps.com, sent me a bunch of surgical caps, believe it or not, <laughs> and I posted a thing on my story talking about a ragdoll, a ragdoll cat, which I'm a fond um, lover and owner of ragdolls all of my life, so yeah, cool. I had to post it, and I had like a word jumble and some whoever figured it out first posted in the comments in the start of the live stream earlier and I think the person that did it was Ellie Spratt which is I think she she's actually what is she bachelor of science student at UQ trying to transfer into vet science oh cool that's pretty good yeah yeah um, she's actually in my college (laughs) which (laughs) believe me well that saves you postage doesn't it yeah (laughs) exactly saves some money for a poor uni student that's for sure for sure. Exactly. But yes, I, um, I sneaky saw that earlier. Like, so, yeah, really started, yeah it was literally a, before you even joined, she'd already commented what it was. Yeah, and what was it? She'd bagged it. Well, I'm, I'd be very happy to send out a copy of the book and a little Vet X Beanie and sticker. If you guys want to, you want to choose a winner. Oh, yeah. Then I'll happily send out a little signed copy of that to... To somebody, I guess the best thing that you know, you, you so best question, something like that, best listener question. How do you want to play it? Yeah, definitely, we could, we could do that. Or you, you could do a comp and like, you know, hit us up with a follow up question or something, and um, tag us up and let's, you know, I'll, I'm going to leave you guys, but the offer is there. Utilize that and maybe you know, tag me in or follow me or something, so I know who's going to win and then if you guys let me know who your winner is then um i'll get my guys this end to arrange that Cheers. Oh, thank, thank you so awesome. much matt cool yeah well we hope that you have a fabulous day because it is daytime for you right now right it is and you know it's been sunny it's been like australia here for about the last eight weeks we've not seen a lot of rain and the weather's been amazing but today it is raining and everybody's probably quite happy about that the plants certainly are so
You're getting a lot of praise in the comments, by the way. Yeah. Yes, everybody's loving you. Bless you. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. All right, you guys go to bed, you crazy kids, and um, keep having fun. Be safe, be well, be happy. Exactly. So, what did you think of that episode? My huge thanks to Leanne, Mackenzie, and Amy, who are at VetMedKid, at The Vet in Training, and at Chasing VetMed on Instagram, respectively. I think the girls did a brilliant job. Don't forget to say hi and uh, thank them for the time and effort they put into that episode. Stars for the future, indeed. Now, did you enjoy it? Please leave a rating on iTunes. That would be gratefully received. And just a final shout out for my Vetex Thrive community. If you are struggling vet med, please check us out. It can all be turned around very, very quickly. So from me and the ladies at UQ, be safe, be well, be happy. Until the next episode. Bye.